Uh, I felt that God was saying, um, I've always told you that you would have innumerable descendants, and one of the ways that's going to happen is by starting a lot of churches or having relationships with other churches, etc. Anyway, in many ways that's meaningless, except that one of the people groups I saw were uh, people in New Zealand. We were in London. And um, I had a chat with a guy who had just done a year and a half's worth of training with me about whether he would be open maybe to going to New Zealand to lead a church. And he said, yes, he would be open. He just got married. And I was thinking, that's brilliant. We'll come back to this in a year and a half. That Sunday, a person that could make church plants happen in the whole of New Zealand um, turned up. And within three or four months, he was in the largest um, church building in the country. And since then, the church has become the largest church of its kind in New Zealand. And I say that because it was an example of me believing God had actually spoken to me and, and me actually being right. And it doesn't always happen that. There was another time I'm reminded of a long time ago in a situation like this where I was worshipping God and, and he, in my mind I had an image of six um, teenagers with feet problems. And um, I, I had such a strong impression that God wanted to heal these six feet problems. We began the thing by just having six chairs at the front and six kids came forward and they sat in the chairs. In fact, eight kids came forward, sat in the chairs. And uh, six of them were completely healed. And basically you could see their feet dancing and moving. They had the usual range of teenage foot problems. But it was an amazing thing. And it was an example of, of God actually speaking to me and me being right. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now, so I'm, I'm fairly confident about this and so far as I can be. But this is what I want to say to you. This is what God showed me this morning. First of all, this is a time for uh, an amnesty on a sin. For some people, the need is just to stop doing whatever it is and to recommit yourself to Jesus. And, you know, I speak from bitter personal experience. It's easy to become completely compromised, one compromise at a time. And, th and then to go through the motions and technically be at things like this, but actually be miles and miles away, feel completely defeated. I speak from bitter personal experience. But remember this, God is the waiting father. And when we have gone away, he is always waiting. He's waiting and watching for a return. And the moment that we come to ourselves, to any extent, and start walking back towards him again, he runs towards us. Not only is he the waiting father, but he is the running father, and he runs to take us in his arms and to put upon us again all the clothes that mean we are a son or a daughter of God. And really, he has comparatively little interest in our broken recitation of fault because he's seen it and he knows it. He just wants us to be reconciled to him again. And so there is an opportunity today for just coming back to God as Father and turning from whatever it is. That's the first thing. The second thing is that although, as always, you look great, 
tragically, there will be many of us who carry on a daily basis some awful pain. And it's to do with things that have happened in life, things that people have done to you, things that you've got yourself into, but it really hurts. And you should know that Jesus is here to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the oppressed free. And, you know, that process is going to require something from you. It's going to require the courage to open it to God. But think about that pain as being like a piece of glass in the hand. It's bad enough having a piece of glass in the hand, but it's a lot worse to close your fingers over the glass and not allow it to be taken out. And I saw this morning that unfortunately there are many of us who, are, who have the glass in the hand and have not found a way of having it removed at all. But this is a day for that. It's going to be messy, it's going to be traumatic, and it's going to be wonderful. And then finally, I I felt God say to me that uh, there were a number of people like me who've been very influenced by the story of Abraham. God has regularly spoken to me through the story of Abraham. And uh, there are some people here, I believe, who have a deep knowing in themselves that they are called to have many, many descendants. They are called to build up and to establish new things and to do it again and again and again and to find that God blesses the work of their hands and to go round bearing an incredible fruit. And um, for those people, it's about power. Because it's one thing to have the call of God, which many people have for a long time, but they don't have the power to do it. And it's not about your might or your strength or your intellect or your education or your ingenuity or your charisma. It is about the power of Jesus. And for some people, it's about connecting with the power of God. Anyway, thank you for listening to that. Uh, We'll sing that again, if that's okay. So if that's you, it's probably all of us. If it's you, why don't we just open ourselves to the Lord? This is what going for it in worship means, by the way, unfortunately. um, I support Arsenal football team who won 7-1 this morning. It's a good day. Anyway, um, um... let me, let me attempt a brief recap for people who couldn't, who couldn't be there. Um, don't be ashamed in any way. Who, who wasn't able to be here last night? Could you put a hand in the air? Don't be ashamed. Shame on you. Anyway, no. Sorry. I love that. I love doing that. There's no shame on you at all. Um, okay, so basically um, what I did was I, I tried to tell people that I'm a very mixed bag as a person. The reason I feel I need to do that is because I want to talk about some incredible things I've seen God do. Mainly I didn't really talk too much about things I've seen God do through me. I spoke about things I've seen God do through very young Christians which are faintly, which, which are just frankly in the miraculous category. And it, it's illustrative of the kind of culture that we have and been given as a church uh, really, as uh, Chris said, entirely because we are 
are effectively a vineyard church. We are, we are pre- predominantly influenced by John Wimber and the teaching of the vineyard from the 1980s. Although technically we're a church of England, actually we look more like a vineyard church. And so it's always been our culture to see people touched by the power of the Holy Spirit and to see incredible things. And I tried to illustrate that through some very young Christians so that it, it wouldn't seem to belong to Christian superstars at all, but to everyone. Um, and uh, basically that was the first thing we did and then uh, I, the theology of it was to try to consider the question what did Jesus do and uh, this should be teaching us all to suck eggs and I said that in the bit of his life that we know about the three years of his ministry Jesus pretty much did nothing else other than preach the gospel heal the sick and cast out demons I pointed out that he was either healing someone having just healed someone or on his way to heal someone most of the time he also prayed taught his disciples blah blah that was about it And uh, I said that no action kicked off until his baptism, where three things happened. One was that he showed obedience to his father. Why should Jesus be baptized? He's sinless. Because he wanted to identify with us, but most importantly, because his father wanted him to. That's it. Secondly, he received an affirmation from his father. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And thirdly, the spirit came upon him and remained with him. And I suggested that those are the unseen foundations of Jesus' life. That is the answer to the question, how did Jesus do what he did? The answer is not, he was the son of God, which is what most Christians think. How did Jesus walk on water? How did he heal the sick? How did he raise the dead? Because he's the son of God. No. In becoming God the son, in becoming incarnate, taking upon himself himself frail flesh, God the son laid aside various divine attributes, being everywhere, knowing everything, being all-powerful. So how did Jesus do it? Jesus did it by being perfectly obedient to his Father, by dwelling, communing in, enjoying the love of his Father, which is why he prayed, and by receiving the power of the Spirit without limit. That's how Jesus did it. Therefore, Jesus is our model in that he shows us what full, complete humanity is. However, he will always be a model we can never fully attain because unlike him, we have a fallen nature, as we know. Jesus was sinlessly perfect because that was proper to the original created intention of God for humankind. That's why he didn't lay that aside in his desire to identify with us because he couldn't. Now, the thing is, we are therefore going called to follow him. I pointed out that, that Jesus' disciples, who have to be the model of what it means to be a disciple, did what Jesus did. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it from the day of Pentecost onwards. The disciples of Jesus preached the gospel, healed the sick and cast out demons, and didn't do a whole hell of a lot else. That's what they did, just like Jesus, right? And, um, however... Um, They, like every other disciple ever since, has an enigmatic experience of these things because we are not Jesus, right? So there's always going to be a measure of disappointment. Set out to heal the sick in Jesus' name, you will see some sick people healed. You will also see a lot of people not healed. That's the way it is because we're not Jesus. The reason I pray for the sick is because some of them are healed. It's as simple as that. Once you pray for somebody who has been blind in one eye for 12 years after an accident and they get their vision back, you're rather addicted. (laughs) See what I mean? Now, the fact that you pray for other people and they're not healed... Who cares? Let me tell you about Johnny. I, 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 I meant to... Not who cares. I mean, we do care. I mean... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. We care deeply. Scrub that from the tape. Anyway. I know we don't use tapes anymore. Um, so, um, let me talk to you about Johnny. Johnny is a German. And uh, basically, I've been going to Germany doing this kind of thing for many years. Many years now. And uh, basically, Johnny... Um, started turning up at one stage as a young guy, maybe 18 or so. Um, and uh, uh, I noticed that Johnny never went away. 
He was kind of always there. And then I noticed that I was being bothered by the leader of, of the church. Could you have Johnny staying with you for a while? Because uh, he just wants to learn more. And then uh, Johnny paid for himself to come over, even though he has no money. And then when we did this conference together, um, Darren, Alex and I in the summer, um, uh, Johnny came over with more friends and said, I can't get rid of Johnny. He's just always there. Anyway, the thing about Johnny is, um, despite the fact that he's got quite a serious stutter, um, what, what he felt God calling him to do was to go and set up a church, not in the nice part of Marburg in Germany, where I always go, but in the slum rejection area where the German people put all the foreign people. And so basically it's like a sink area which no one would want to go to. And I've, I've never even seen it in all my years of going. But I go and visit Johnny and what he's doing. So Johnny tells this story, and to me this is instructive in lots of ways. He, he tells this story about he's running a youth group and um, uh, a couple of kids come to the youth group, mainly Muslims by the way, a couple of kids come to the youth group because they've heard that they heal people. So Johnny has been out on the streets on a regular basis healing the sick in Jesus' name. He's quite, he's quite good at it. He's been doing it for a while. Now, <clears throat> the thing is, they turn up, and they turn up because one of the kids has got a, uh, a terrible problem with his kneecap. And he used to be a really gifted athlete, but can't do anything, can hardly walk. And every time he moves, it comes out of place, and there's nothing they can do about it. So it's all a bit of a mess. And uh, basically, this is Johnny's attitude. He thinks, hey, hey, you know what? If he's got something wrong with his kneecap, probably one of his legs is shorter than the other one. I mean, why you'd think that? I do not know. But he goes, yeah, that'll, that'll be it. So, so what we'll do is we'll get all the youth together and we'll just put him on a chair and then they can watch the leg grow. So I'm, I'm going, whoa, back up. Okay, that, whoa, all right. Where did you get that from? And he, he would say me, right? He would say, oh, because I come to your seminars, right? All back. <laughs> so I'm going, okay. Um, so, so they're there, they're laughing at him. They're, they're you know, abusing him. He prays for the guy, the leg grows in front of them. And they didn't get a chance to pray for the kneecap because by now the, the knee is itching. It's going really hot. Didn't even pray for it. But half an hour later, the guy has gone for a run and it's completely healed. And the result is, the result is that both of them come to faith. Now, the point about Johnny is, he's, from my perspective, he's just one person at a conference like this. Do you get the message? Johnny is somebody, for whatever reason, who took it seriously. And guess what? He's got innumerable amazing stories. Next time we do a seminar on healing, Johnny will be doing it. I will be taking notes. So um, we did that. It's Johnny. Um, and let me talk to you a little bit about identity because I forgot to mention this. Did I finish that? Oh, yeah, no, it was like, that's what Jesus did, that's what, that's what the disciples did, um, and are we, um, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Now, I know that in the evangelical church, there's been, we know that we're supposed to love people, we know that we're supposed to care for people, we're supposed to forgive people, but in the evangelical church, there seems to have been a bit of a disconnect with the miraculous, even though we can see it in the New Testament, and what people have said is, oh, well, you know, that was for them, that was to authenticate Jesus and the apostles, and, but we don't do that stuff. Now, that I do not come from this background, just so you know. I, I explained last night, I, I was um, taught by Pentecostals. When I became a Christian, I spoke in tongues. At the time, I became a Christian. Not courtesy of them, it was a spontaneous thing. I became a Christian through a Billy Graham thingy. But when the Spirit came upon me that night, I spoke in tongues, to the shock of the evangelical that brought me to the thing. Um, and so there was really, there has never been a time when I haven't seen these things on a regular basis, never. So I don't share the evangelical caution thing that I know is a part of a good thing that we do not want to be carried away and be stupid, as some Christians are profoundly stupid. I cannot understand how God chooses to use some of the stupid people that he uses, but I notice it doesn't stop him. 
should stop him. But then I think about myself and I think, you know, is there anybody more stupid? Chris? Uh, <laughs> apart from that, I'm struggling to think of anyone. Actually, just, just as a brief sidebar, um, Chris has many issues, and um, I, I always like to say this. One of his issues is that he's addicted to buying T-shirts, and for please do not encourage that. Sometimes people will feel that they, that they need to buy him a gift, and um, don't, just don't, get it, don't make it a T-shirt. He has too many of them. It's, it's an awful problem he's got. Anyway, um, so basically, um, there was a reason for some of that. Um... So, uh, you know, and sometimes people will appeal to that bit in 1 Corinthians where um, Paul says, when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away, there won't be prophecies and all that stuff. The perfect that will come is Jesus. When the Lord returns again, we won't need prophecy. But that is in no way a reference to the completion of the canon of Scripture, as if Paul would ever have that in his mind. Do you think Paul, Paul did know that he was writing Scripture because he says so. Do you think Paul foresaw the New Testament coming into being? I don't think so. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. That's like saying that Jesus foresaw tractors. It's, it's silly. Anyway, so, so basically, basically, we are called to do the same thing that Jesus did. That includes forgiving people and loving people. For me to say, you know what, Jesus forgave people. It was amazing. He got crucified. He still forgave people. I'm really glad he did that. I'm glad that Paul and Peter forgave people. But, you know, because they did it in the past and now we've got the New Testament, we don't need to forgive people anymore. Brilliant. That would be great, wouldn't it? No obligation to forgive people. Fantastic. Unfortunately, we know that we're supposed to forgive people. We are also supposed to heal the sick, preach the gospel, and cast out demons. And, his, and it is so obvious that when people take this seriously, they do it. Just Google it. Why don't you try Googling ra- raising people from the dead? And then you can watch films of people coming back to life in various Christian meetings. And you can raise all the questions you want about authenticity, etc. I understand. And maybe some of it's fake. But you know what? It's there again and again and again and again. Stop doubting and believe. It does happen. It happens through normal people like Johnny. So the only significance of me this weekend at all is to encourage you to be you. And this is what I mean by that. Jesus, um, at his baptism, um, was affirmed in his identity. His identity as God the Son. Then, Jesus was driven out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where, guess what was tested by Satan? His identity. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Now, the Son of God prior to Jesus was Israel. Israel was the Son of God, and Israel failed various tests in the wilderness. Failed to be God the Son. Failed to be the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, does not fail. Jesus quotes the scripture and perfectly fulfills his father's will. He is true to his identity, right? Then after that, Jesus appears in Nazareth where he reveals his identity. He says, I am the one of whom it is written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to do these things, right? So he reveals his identity. And then a demon cries out and confirms his identity illegitimately. You're the son of the most high God. What do you want with us? Jesus tells him to shut up because that's a wrong confirmation of identity. It's all about his identity. His identity, his identity, his identity. It's all about that. He's God the son. Now, as Christians, you are in Christ. And this is the problem with disobedience. 
This is the problem with sin. And I don't just mean having naughty thoughts and doing naughty things when people can't see you. I mean much more significantly, not doing what God wants you to do when you know that God wants you to do it. Now, you can, be, you can call yourself a charismatic, which I do, charismatic Christian, or you can call yourself not a charismatic. However, I've been playing the Christian game long enough to know that every single one of us here will have been spoken to by God. It doesn't need to be an audible voice. It just, it's an impression. We may not even recognize it as God. That's because we're stupid and our churches are stupid. But the fact is, nevertheless, God speaks to every one of his children all the time. Through creation, through the scripture, through revelation, through dreams. There isn't one of us here that hasn't continually heard the voice of God. The problem is, we haven't done it. Now that is sin. If God calls you to do something and you don't do it, that's sin. Whether it's the nudge, why don't you talk to that person about your faith? The nudge, whether it's the, actually, you know, I don't want you to be a lawyer. I want you to do this. The nudge, whatever it is, you know, you need to do what God wants you to do because that is what Jesus did all the flipping time. So, the problem with sin is it undermines your identity. It makes it difficult to come into the presence of the Father. Do you know why worship is boring for a lot of you? I know theoretically worship is not boring. It's the most amazing thing we do. We're giving glory to God. Do you know why it's actually boring? It's because when you open yourself to God, there's too much in there. And you can't handle it. Too much emptiness, too much disappointment, too much shame, too much guilt. Who would want to worship God when that's what it means facing? Who? In their right minds. Hence what Chris said is completely correct. The difficulty with worship is you always meet two people, God and you. When you open yourself, woohoo, there you are in the midst of him. There you are. And for some people, that is overwhelming, it's just difficult, it's hard, it's empty, and they don't know how to get through that process. Once again, there is an amnesty on sin by the grace of God today. There's a sale on sin. You can get forgiveness of sin for absolutely nothing today. Only today? (laughs) Definitely not tomorrow in church. Um, And also, there is an opportunity for the healing of these things that lurch in the darkness that, that even now cause a squirming in the stomach. Do you know, the last time I was here, I prayed for somebody who'd been raped. I prayed for, by a Satanist. I prayed for um, people who'd been sexually abused. I prayed for people who were heartbroken. I prayed for people who were the victims of divorce. I prayed for people who'd never known their parents. I prayed for people who had alcoholic parents. This is just here, last year. That's normal. When I went back and reported, I said it was all the normal stuff. As I said, you look great. You always look great. But unfortunately, tragically, we will be carrying this stuff and we haven't found a way of letting it go. And it hurts like hell. And it undermines our identity because we cannot come and look fully in the face of our father. If you can't look in the face of your father, you cannot be affirmed in your identity as a saint of the most high God, as a daughter of God, as a son of God. And then you don't know what you're for and you don't know what you're supposed to do. And then you can't really receive the power of the spirit. It's a vicious circle all about undermining your identity. And the author of all this is Satan. That's his job. His job is to undermine, take away, rob you of your identity so that you cannot be who you're supposed to be. Now, let me just remind you of what we as human beings are supposed to be. Why was it that there were no representations of God in the temples of Israel? Why in the temple of Israel is there no picture of God, statue of God? What's the answer to that? I'm sure you all know. Pardon? Because, say it again, I'm... We worship the statue, so it's idolatry. 
Yeah, that's not the reason. <laughs> Idolatry is condemned in the Old Testament. That is not the reason, though. This is the reason. There actually is an idol in the temple of all of Israel. Who is in the temple? Who represents the people of God before God? The great high priest. What does the temple look like? Well, the ceiling is like the celestial skies, the heavens. The floor is like the earth. The clothes, the great high priest, represents the whole cosmos. Who is the idol of God? Who is the image of God in the temple? The great high priest. Who does he represent? You and me. He's representative man and woman, right? So the image, the identity that we're supposed to, be ha- to have is to be the idol, the visual representation of God upon the earth. People are supposed to look to us and see God. That's what we're supposed to be. And the object of the game, and, uh, and it's always been the same object, is to rob us of our identity. That's always been the object. So that God, you know, God forbid that you actually go on to be truly you. And I, I know that, that this is painful, because I've been doing this a long time, and I know that if you're in the spotlight and there's a pattern of behavior that's hurting you and other people, if you're carrying a lot of emotional pain, you're in the spotlight, it's painful. If you're worried about the Holy Spirit, these things are painful, and I empathize. I am sorry that it is painful, but my job, my job is to call you into the, the true being that is you. That's my job. So I love you, but it's got to change. Okay, good. Um, Let me explain the model of prayer that we use. Now, this is not magic. It is not the model that God blesses. It is just the model that we use. And I have seen lots of models in my time, and I still like this best, so I'm still passing it on. It's a model that comes from Anaheim in California, from a church called the Vineyard, as many of you will know. And, uh, but I want to recommend this to you because I like it, and because I th- I've seen God use it, and basically I think it's better than the other ones. There are mainly two other ones. There's the broadly Pentecostal one, which has an emphasis on the anointed person. So there are are some tremendously gifted people of signs and wonders in the Pentecostal church. And the Pentecostal church is the one that has taken this dimension of ministry seriously. And God bless them for that. But the emphasis is on faith. Uh, It's often quite flamboyant. There's some very interesting, speculative, and I would say, frankly, wrong theology. And it can leave people feeling a bit messed up, as well as people being dramatically healed. So there's that. On the other hand, you have the kind of liturgical approach where people... Priests believe in healing, but again, the emphasis is on the anointed priest. Come forward, don't say anything, kneel, he'll probably anoint you with oil after communion. It's all, to me, it's a bit formal, it's all a bit, you know, stiff, it's not very interpersonally gracious, and, but God does use that. This, on the other hand, is a, is a model which everyone can use, where everyone can play, which respects the dignity of individuals, respects the power of the Spirit, and that's why I like it. So I'm going to describe it to you, and... Um, uh, um, and basically, then we're going to kind of do it. So, um, if I'm praying for somebody, um, uh, or if somebody comes to me and say, says to me, can you pray for them? And in my church, right, that could be a non-Christian just as easily as a Christian. We run an evangelistic course called the Life Course, which is our version of the Alpha Course. Have you heard of the Alpha Course? Yeah, ours is just better. And basically, but it's the same thing. No, it's just a rip-off of the Alpha Course. Um, and basically, at the, on the weekend away, we pray for people. But we, because we're in England, which is a pagan nation, we tend to have a lot of pagans that come. Our current Life Course is almost exclusively non-Christian. We have virtually no Christians on it at all. Because our people are miles and miles away from God. It's nothing like this context where people are kind of have a vague expectation of church. I know it's a bit different in California from the Deep South. But still, believe me, this is a lot easier than, than the horrible atheism of London. 
But it does mean we have a lot of fun, and we have, you know, totally unclean people washing through all the time, and they're a lot of fun. Much more fun than Christians. Anyway, and then they became Christians. <laughs> Self-defeating. Anyway, so basically, um, uh, so, so, uh, yeah. So I could be asked to pray for, I could be asked to, to pray for somebody, and they ha- could have no frame of reference at all. So I always assume people have no frame of reference. So I recommend that you learn how to do this as though you were explaining it to a child. And when I pray for people, even if they're fully grown adults, I still speak to them like they're a child. It's that simple. So, hello, Nigel, would you like prayer? You would. Uh, would it be okay? I, I would write this down if you're going to write anything down, if you're going to write anything down at all. Hello, Nigel, would you like prayer? You would like prayer. Can I pray for you in the way that I'm comfortable? I can. Thank you. Okay, this is what I'd like to do, Nigel. I would like you to stand. I'd like you to open your hands. Let me take your hands for you and just open them for you like that. Just leave them there. So like this. Well then, Nigel. Um, Close your eyes so you're not distracted because we take in lots of information through our senses, don't we, Nigel? Yes, we do, John. So just shut that down for a bit because we're going to try and focus on God. Don't do it now, Nigel, because I haven't finished speaking. In a minute. So, he goes, So, I'd like to explain exactly what I'm going to do. Is that all right? Yes, good. So, I would like you to pray first. Are you used to praying out loud, Nigel? No? Doesn't matter. Just pray in your head or in your heart. What do you say? Whatever's actually in your head or your heart. It's fine. Don't use religious words. Okay, good. Um, And so, do that. There'll be a time of silence. You'll have your eyes closed and your hands out. And I won't be doing anything. I'll just be listening. To, uh, 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 you know, if, you, if you're not saying it out loud, you'll just be standing there. You'll probably feel a bit silly. You know, don't worry about it, though. You get used to it. So basically, there'll be a period of silence. When you finish praying, Nigel, nod your head like that. And I will then know that you finished praying. And then I am going to add my prayers to your prayers. Because you know what? I can't heal you. In fact, I can't do anything good for you whatsoever. You've come to the wrong person. Except I do know Jesus. And he does have the power to do these things. So I'm going to add my prayers to your prayers. And this is one thing that Jesus promises in the New Testament. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Luke 11 verse 13. And it's not how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to really mature Christians, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to people who are perfect. It's just how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So I recommend, Nigel, that in your heart and mind, you simply ask the Holy Spirit to come to you, and then I'm going to add my prayers to your prayers. How am I going to do that? I'm going to say something like, come, Holy Spirit. Now, in brackets, that does not mean, just just for your sake, that does not mean I don't think people already have the Spirit. It's a shorthand way of saying, come Holy Spirit and do whatever you want to do right now. But I'm not going to say all that because it's a total mouthful. Uh, But I don't need to be totally theologically correct at all times. So, for example, I know that to become a Christian, you receive the Spirit of Jesus living in you. You don't have a two-stage initiation where you receive Jesus and then the Spirit. That's kind of not the true meaning of the Trinity, just to start with. Uh, Baptism in the Spirit is an expression that describes the conversion process, not a second experience, which has to be marked by speaking tongues. That's complete cobblers. It's one of the reasons I'm not a Pentecostal, but God bless them. At least they believe in the Spirit and they believe in speaking in tongues. Um, But I don't believe that theology. And I think it gives people issues. 
Um, so basically, it's too legalistic, and you know that's not a good thing. Um, so basically, um, I'm asking that God would fill somebody again with His Spirit. So if you're already a Christian, if Nigel's a Christian, Paul says, "Go on being filled with the Spirit." In Ephesians 5, verse 18, go on being filled with the Spirit, right? So I'm asking the Spirit to come and fill them again and do whatever, right? So let's not get hung up on that, um, but I ask the Spirit to come. So, Nigel, we're ready to go. Would you like to stand up? Great. Stick your hands out. Great. Close your eyes. Brilliant. Period of silence. Off you go. And then I'll add my prayers to yours. And so Nigel nods his head. He's finished. I ask the Spirit to come. And then do you know what I do next? Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing whatsoever. I just stand there. In my mind, I go and make a cup of tea, because I'm English. I go off, make some tea. Nigel's, you know, bubbling on the stove. And uh, I'm off doing something else. There's nothing I can do. It's not about me. It's not about my revelations, my words of knowledge, my anything. It's, this is between God and Nigel. And if Nigel's not used to opening himself to the Spirit, he probably needs a bit of time. So basically, I'm off. If you watch me praying for people, I'll, I'll do all that, and then I'll just stand there like this for a bit. Look around, you know. And, and you know what? After a while, I will have a look at Nigel. I will look to see how Nigel is doing. And I think a lot of revelation from God comes by looking. I explained last night that that is, I believe, how Jesus chose disciples. He prays for disciples. He comes down from the hillside. He's asking the Father to give him disciples. He senses the Father wants to give him disciples. And he looks at some fishermen. And as he looks at them, the Holy Spirit says, they will be fishers of men. And then he says it. He says what he sees. So basically, look at them. When I, when I listen to people ask, asking for prayer, I'm half listening to them and I'm also listening to God. I'm trying to listen to God. Do you notice how many times people have one conversation with Jesus and he has a totally different one with them? That's because he's listening to the Father. So, you know, Nicodemus has got his questions about where the wind comes from and how he can be born again. Jesus is having his own conversation about, would Nicodemus like to be born again? Do you see what I mean? And it's often like that. It's a disconnect. That's because part of what he's doing is listening to God. I had a great time um, recently with this um, girl who came second in um, a Miss UK contest. A stunningly beautiful girl. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for her and, um, and you know, trying not to be led into temptation. And basically, um, <laughs> it's not really going very well. Um, and, and I think, you know what? I think it might be a good idea to try and include her in praying for somebody else. Um, so I, didn't, I just thought that might be fun. So she's not a Christian. And uh, basically there's this guy lying on the floor. And uh, he's, he's really happy. He's got a big smile on his face. Everything's fine. And this girl comes over. And I say to her, um, would you like to come and pray for me? She said, pray with me for this guy. What do you mean? It'll be fine. So I just grabbed her by the wrist and took her over there. It'll be fine. It'll be absolutely fine. Just sit, sit down there next to him. Right, great. So um, what I'd like you to do is just look at him. Look at him. And say what you see. So first of all, just look at him and then tell me what you think you can see and then turn it into a prayer. So I go off. She looks at him. I say, what can you see? And she says, he looks a bit tense. And I'm thinking, no, he doesn't. Look at him. He's got a massive smile on his face. He's not looking at all tense. But of course, you can't say that, can you? Because you've just kind of set that up for her. So you're not going to say, no, have another look. <laughs> so basically... So basically, I say, all right then, why don't you turn that into a prayer? And I'm not exaggerating. She goes something like, Jesus, help him not to feel tense. At which point, his neck snaps back. He, he, he goes completely red in the face, and it's a demonic thing. And he just opens his mouth, and out it comes, like that. That was her first prayer. Now, she knew that had happened. I knew that had happened. She said to me, was that, 
a demon. I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of fun. Say what you see. Say what you see. We go into mode. As Christians, we go into mode. Oh, Lord, bless him. He's a child of yours. You know, whatever, all the things you do again and again and again. You know, basically, what, what's the spirit doing? Anyway, so first of all, ask the spirit to come, get out the way, and have a look. Have a listen. What is coming to your ear? What is coming to your mind? What can you actually see? Now, I think often revelation is incredibly simple. It's not rocket science. So do they look sad? Do they look burdened? Do they look happy? Do they look peaceful? Do they look excited? What do they look like? And then, here's the magic of this model. Just bless what you see. Bless it. If it's shaking, bless it. If it's crying, bless it. If it's about to fall over, catch it and bless it. Basically, just bless it. Bless what God is doing. So this model is about asking God to do something now and trying to work out what it is. Now, in my experience, you often have literally no idea what he's doing. But you have a go. You try and work it out. And the more you do this, the better you get at actually working it out. And you start with quite you know, general sort of ideas of what's going on, but you grow in that. Now, hearing God's voice, right, the mechanism into which God speaks is the same mechanism into which some of you, at least, will, will, or, will already totally know. How many people here think that they are quite empathetic, quite intuitive as people? So you can spot moods, you tend to know what your friend's thinking, that kind of stuff, even if they don't tell you. It's that mechanism into which God speaks. It's that God speaks into. And some of us have a hard time with that because we're not particularly empathetic and we're not particularly intuitive. So it's more difficult for us, but it's not impossible. You just have to find the way. And so basically, um, I discovered that having always been quite an empathetic person, doing quite a lot of counseling, really, even before I became a Christian, I discovered that, that God would show me things, emotional things, but then he started showing me facts, which I just couldn't know. But it was the same mechanism. So the more you do it, the more you open yourself to receiving communication from God, the more you get it. And the more you give it away, the better. How do you know if it's from God? You never know. Not one time. You're a postman. You never, never know. It's awful. Over time, you get a little bit more experienced, hence my confidence in telling you what I think God is doing today. Because I know, I'm used to the pro, I know the process. I know when God is speaking to me. There are times when I'm really not sure, times when I'm absolutely certain he hasn't. That doesn't mean I'm right. Um, and there are times when I'm fairly confident. Fairly confident is the best I do. And, and so this morning was a fairly confident. The thing is, the thing is, you're like a postman. How many, is that what you, the expression you use, postman? Mailman. Okay, mailman, right. Now, imagine and the mailman delivers a letter and just stands there. You going to open it? Yeah, when you've gone? No, no, open it now. I'd like to see what it says. Mailmen don't do that, do they? They deliver the mail and then they leave. They've done their job. Right? So what you do is you say what you see. Now, the critical deal is doing it in a loving, compassionate way. And that's where a lot of Christian cobblers kicks in. Because people do not give their revelation in a nice, acceptable, loving, kind way. Every gift of the Spirit has to be exercised in love. Otherwise, it is an absolute waste of time. So you need to find ways of saying, could God be saying this? Is it possible that God is saying this? Or even you don't say that at all. You just turn what you see into a prayer. And if they respond, you just keep going. I often know things about people, but I don't feel the need to tell them that I do. I just turn it into a prayer. 
You know, because it's not about me. It's not about my, oh good, I heard from God. It's not like that. It's I'm just giving the stuff. I often pay literally no attention to what I've said. And people will say, oh, that was amazing you said this. And I'll say, what did I say? And then I might remember or I might not. So like Darren, for example, when he came to visit the church, apparently I prayed for him and prophesied over him. I have literally no memory of that whatsoever. Now the thing is that probably changed his life. I have no memory of it. There was somebody I met last night, a really nice person, and I, I started talking to them because they, were, they, were, they had their back to me, and I thought, I recognized that hair. I prayed for a girl who had that hair, I'm sure, and she turned around and I saw her face. It obviously wasn't that girl. And so basically, I'm saying, I, I, I'm trying to recover myself, and, uh, and you know, she's, she's obviously, she, she wants to tell me, you know, that last year when, when I came, something amazing happened, and she thinks I'm recognizing her, and of course, I'm rejecting her because I'm an idiot. But, but the, you know, the thing is, I have no memory of it. I have no memory of it. And it's not my job to have a memory of it. It's not about me. I, I'm just the postman, so I'll just say it. But you know this model? It's not really about having amazing words from God. If you do have an amazing word from God, great. But generally, it's this. You get them to stand there trying to be open. You bless what God is doing. And in the Greek, to bless is to speak well of. So you're speaking well of what God is doing. And then other prayers that we use would be things like, thank you for what you're doing, more power. It seems that when something's happening, if you bless it, it, t- it tends to increase. And I, I like people that receive. Now, in situations like this today, for example, there will be some people who receive a lot. And some of us will slightly wonder about them. Uh, and the fact is, they are the sensible ones. They are the blessed ones. They, they are the ones for whom this time is particularly significant. And you know what? In the kingdom of God, if you are receiving something, you're likely to receive more. Jesus says that. Whoever has will receive more, pressed down and overflowing. So the, the more you can get, the better. So I will pray for somebody, and if they experience the Spirit for the first time, it's quite likely that I'm going to talk to them about speaking in tongues, even if they know nothing about that. Why? Because it's the easiest gift to receive. So we'll do that. Then I'll speak to them about prophesying. Do you want to do that? Then we'll, I'll pray for them to be called by God, and I'll try to do it over a long period of time. I, I want them, and if they fall to the floor and lie there, I will encourage them to stay there and let other people come and pray for them. If they try and get up, I'll probably knock them down again. Just stay there. Just receive as much as you possibly can. While God is doing that thing, just stay there. We're not good at that. We go, oh yeah, thanks very much. Off, bye. That's lovely. There was a woman I prayed for last night, and she, you know, she basically, she, she obviously, she did a little crying, and that was obviously nice for her. And then, and then basically, she's about to say thank you very much. And I said, well, we haven't, we've just started. And then a lot more happened to her because she stayed there. So it's, a, it's about encouraging people to open themselves to God, stay in the presence of God. And what, what, what you do is encourage people. If you can see something happen, say, do you know what? That's the power of the Spirit. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Um, I, I'm so excited to see that, that you're crying because you've got to be able to get this stuff out. I will say it's amazing that you're laughing. You need this release. We all need this release. So I commentate quite a lot of the time. If I can see something happening, I will speak about it. So I don't always pray for things. I interpret what is happening to people who have no experience of it. Does that make sense to you? But it's a no-pressure, easy thing where we're trying to receive people in a compassionate way, in a loving way. What would you like prayer for? Listen to them. Don't problem swap. You know, just listen to what they're saying to you. you also if it's a physical thing, you don't need a medical diagnosis. You're not a doctor unless you are a doctor. Just, you just give, where does it hurt? That'll do. Where is it? You're also not a counsellor. You do not need 55 hours of where the pain came from. What hurts? Okay. Can you lift that to God? And then let me pray for you. And we're going to be here a while. 
We're going to stand here and allow the Spirit to come. And people have very little frame of reference for how to open themselves to God. For whatever reason, some people seem to be able to do it like that, and for other people it's a real struggle, which is why you'll get very, very sincere Christians. I spoke to one this morning, very committed, very sincere Christians, and they said, but I didn't feel anything. It's very common, this. The process by which people come to feel something or come to really connect with the Spirit is quite a complex one. So, for example, if you've never known a very good relationship with a father at all, it's like being asked to trust a real absence because God is your father. It doesn't mean anything. Or if you, if you had various broken experiences in that area, it's hard to believe that something good will happen, which is why Jesus says, if you ask your father for a fish, will you get a snake? In implication, no. Or if you ask him for an egg, will you get a scorpion? No. Well, and then Jesus says, well, you, even you fathers, though you're evil, pulling no punches, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? But Jesus knows that we're crap askers. He knows that we don't like asking. We prefer to do it ourselves. He knows that when we actually do get round to asking, it's quite likely to be a, a short, perfunctory thing, and then we're out the door. So he says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. The tense in the Greek is continuous and ongoing. Do you know what Jesus teaches about prayer? Jesus' revolutionary teaching on prayer is this, just do it. That's it. Keep on doing it. A man turns up in a, in a community and he bangs on the door and, oh, shock horror, they won't let him in. That's unthinkable. That's social death. It's the worst possible thing that can happen. And um, everybody's going, oh, tut, tut. They're all listening. It's a terrible, terrible. And Jesus says, so he keeps on banging on the door and finally he gets up. Oh, well, probably because he's worked out his social obligations. He should have known that in the first place. No, because he can't get back to sleep unless he lets the guy in. So basically he lets him in. So he's not even doing it for the right reasons, but he lets him in. All these kids are asleep, the animals are asleep, everybody's asleep, and the guy's waking them up, so we'll have to let him in. He lets him in, and then the man gets what he needs because he keeps on asking. That's Jesus' revolutionary teaching on prayer. You think he could have come up with something more profound? That's it. Just keep doing it. Prayer, just keep doing it. When it comes to, to uh, don't collapse asking for the Spirit into feeling something anyway. You, you, you are asking God to come and do what he wants to do. And what he needs to do may be very different from what you think. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for somebody for one thing and have found that actually God has done something totally different. And sometimes in a really weird way. Like I, I remember praying for a woman who asked me, my wife and I to pray for her that she would be able to recover from the effects of a hysterectomy. And we prayed for her and basically the spirit touched her and she sank gently in a kind of late middle-aged way to the ground. We helped her to do that and she lay on the floor. And, we, you know, and well, it's just as well, you know, because otherwise it would have been, it was quite a hard floor, I seem to remember. Anyway, so we're, then, we're, then in a loving way we've left because we have to go home. And basically, so that was it. Didn't think about her at all again. Got a letter from her saying, oh, thanks very much for praying for me. I'm thinking, okay, who are you? Absolutely no idea. You prayed for me and, and basically I went home and I looked in the mirror and I saw that my eye had been straightened. We didn't pray for eye. Now, this, this is, she had had five operations to sort out this eye. She'd been hospitalized several times. It gave her chronic migraines. And basically, her family looked at her face and said, you look different. So she looks in the mirror, eye straightened. She goes to see her ophthalmologist, a word I only know because of this story. And basically, um, basically the guy says, I have no explanation for that. You know, I know that you've had this since you were nine. And I know that you're now 54. And basically, it's completely straight. We didn't pray for it. We didn't pray for the eye. If only we'd prayed for the eye. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Got no idea what you're doing. But, but this is the power of the Spirit, isn't it? 
Because imagine that these stories I'm telling you are actually true. Just play an imaginary game. Pretending I'm not lying to you. I mean, surely I have been speaking for long enough for you to realise I am just normal, if not a bit odd. Don't you think? So if God can use me, why wouldn't he want to use you? You just get in there. The water's lovely. Give it a go. Are you going to have times when absolutely nothing happens and they look at you as though you've hurt them? Yes. They're going to look at you and say, Why didn't I feel anything? Or they're going to say, No, what you said to me was completely wrong. Or they're going to say, I'm leaving God now. Yeah, no, they are. They can go their way and you can go God's. So basically, you know, you just keep doing the stuff. Keep doing it. A, a good evangelist is a bad evangelist that got better. A good teacher is a bad teacher that got better. And a good person at doing this is a bad one that got better. It's not complicated. Children can do it. Let me get another example of how uncomplicated it is. I remember once leading a time of prayer for a youth group, and basically, there's this guy, he's really, I, I'd talk about, you know, so would anybody like to receive Christ? Because I felt that was what I should be doing. And this guy's literally going, you know, it's great when that, I mean, it's great, it's literally. You know, so I'm thinking, okay, obviously you, you know. So... <laughs> So he comes forward, he's a big smile, he's very excited, and he's a big guy, and basically, um, he, I pray for him, I said, well look, I'll lead you in a prayer, but we're also asking the Holy Spirit to come and touch everybody, so I tried to explain what that meant, he had absolutely no idea, no one had ever seen him at the youth group before, and so basically there he is, he's standing there, and um, he falls over, sort of on me, so face forward, onto me, and I'm trying to hold him up. And he goes out on the floor, and I do this neat stepping sideways process, holding him with my massive strength, quad strength, get him down on the floor, move, move sort of behind him. And then his arms go out sideways, and his legs snap together and catch my foot. Um, so I've got my foot locked between his legs. And then he starts growling and snarling, and he's demonized. Completely normal. And uh, anyway, so I'm then in the happy situation of trying to lead a time of ministry without being able to move. I can't get my foot out. So basically, um, there are another couple of girls that have prayed to the prayer, as we do. They've come forward as well with the demonized big guy. And uh, basically, I say to them, oh, you know what? I can't move. I think you'll need to pray for this sick person over here. What do you mean? Well, I'll tell you what to do. I can't move, though. So go and stand over there. See, she's got a whiplash neck injury. She'd like somebody to pray for her. Well, what do we do? I said, well, you know, you stand on that side, you stand on that side, put your hand on the neck, either side, yeah, great. And then you want to say something like, Jesus, please heal her. And, uh, and I'll, I'll come and see you when I've got out. So I'm trying to get out. And basically, they pray that. I see it happen. And the woman's neck goes like that, and she's immediately healed. That's their first prayer. So it's not complex. So be encouraged. You guys have got it all. You, you, you're Christians. You know the Lord. You know the power of the Lord. You know the love of the Lord. You've got everything. So basically, if God can use these young doofuses who are totally unclean and all the rest of it just like that, then surely he can use you, don't you think? Unless I'm lying, of course. Well, I could be. <clears throat> okay. Um, That's enough. Let's stand. So let's, let's practice on ourselves. You are the Nigel.
Is this a time to, you know, confess the sin, put it away? Is this a time to let God in to the hurt? Is this a time to recognize that my identity includes, you know, having a serious number of descendants? Is it none of those things? Open yourself to the Holy Spirit and let him come. How do you do that? Well, you stand there, open your hands, close your eyes, like I'm saying. Take some time, determine you'll be there a little bit. And try and make the Holy Spirit welcome. If there's something on your mind, why don't you process that first with God? If something's been highlighted, talk to God. Talk to him directly. I will shut up. There will be a silence. Talk to him. And then we'll come back. Let's do asking the Holy Spirit to come and just focus on opening ourselves to him and receiving him. The Holy Spirit is as near as breathing. He's as close as hands and feet. He's near to all who call on him. So call on his presence. Don't be afraid. And then I advise that you continue where you are. And the sensible thing to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's doing without worrying about it, without worrying about what anybody else will think of you, just try and respond because that's the whole object of the game. So if you experience something physical, you do. If you experience something emotional, you do. It's okay. Thank you so much, Lord, that you, that you come to us when we ask, that you are rich in mercy and that you give us so much. And I thank you for the promise that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And we are asking, Lord, come, Spirit of the living God, will you fill the people in this place? Enter every trembling heart again, Lord. And then we just wait in the Lord's presence. So you're doing very well. If you can sense God touching you, just thank him for what he's doing. Don't strain yourself. You don't need to work anything up. At times like this, people will often know the voice of God. God speaks words of reassurance, words of forgiveness, reminds us of what our calling is. People often feel things, so they will feel a weight upon them on their hands, on their head. They might be aware that they're shaking a bit. These are like knee-jerk reactions. They're not significant in and of themselves, but they're common when the Spirit comes. They're like outward bodily signs of the Spirit doing something important inside. People feel a weight on them. They feel power going through them. They feel warmth in their hands, on their face. They feel a wind blowing over them. They feel they want to cry, they feel they want to laugh. Those are in the bracket of sort of release of things. I'm, I'm saying this only to interpret to you what some of you will actually be feeling. Lord, increase your power here. We want your presence, Lord. Come and give us all that we need.
touching you and you're aware of him touching you in some way, why don't you come forward so that people can pray over you? And often when you do that, whatever that is, tends to increase. So again, it's part of the model. If you sense God doing something, then respond to what he's doing. So if you'd like to make your way forward, don't be shy or hesitant or don't be afraid because God is in the business of healing people, not exposing and hurting them. If you're part of the people who are going to pray, could you come forward as well? There's going to be a lot of crying. It's absolutely inevitable. I really encourage you just to, if you're going to cry, just cry. It's, it's absolutely fine. You've got to be able to cry in church. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the ways we've been made, that when we've, we've had pain, we release it by crying. Or relief as well. It's relief and often just a response to dryness or coming home to God again, that kind of thing. But don't try and hold it in. It's sort of counterintuitive. So if you've come forward, would you like to just open your hands again like you are and just, just say to God, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting upon you. You don't need to strain yourself. You don't need to be madly praying and praying. Just be as open as you can and people will come round. They'll lay their hands on you and pray for you and they will be agreeing with what God is doing. <clears throat> okay. Let's start praying for people. Um, Chris, could we have a bit of music in the background? So if you haven't come forward, it's going to be a bit more singing. Sometimes it's very difficult to come forward, I know. Um, and sometimes people don't feel particularly they want to. That's fine. Um, but if you change your mind, just come forward. People will pray for you. If you no, nothing bad will happen to you, okay? Nobody's going to hurt you. We're just going to pray for God's blessing to rest on you. So let's go around and pray.